Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to Reconstructed Faith. This is, once again, your temporary host, Bryn Starnes, and I am in studio with Chris Legg, and we have a guest today, Zach Tingle, and I'm, we're really excited to hear from him. I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to Chris, because Chris has known Zach for a lot longer than I have. So, yeah, so Zach was in the pro, in a program that we've talked about, we've mentioned before, the FORGE program, um, which is a, a program that Pine Cove does to help train people for a lifetime of ministry. And, uh, and I got to be a part of that. And so were, so were several other who and other guests who we've had and several people at the church and whatever. And so Zach is a, uh, I love Zach's pro- thinking processes and, and the way he engages with things. And it's, uh, I, I love that. And so I'm, I'm one, I'm intrigued to get to hear, I don't know that we've talked specifically about some of these things, so I'm intrigued to hear it, but I was just like the, the other day, even, um, oh, so anyway, so I've known Zach for that many years, seven, eight years, whatever that is. Zach is married, has two, three kids, uh, two of them at the same time. Twin. That's the, he's got twins. Uh, so if he falls asleep during I the podcast, that. yes. How old are they? Uh, they turn one here in a couple of weeks. Oh my. Yeah, exactly. So you now have a frame of reference for that. Yes. I have a new appreciation <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember the, when we had little kids and some, one of our friends would have twins or something, we'd, we'd be like, Oh, Dear Lord, I can't even <laughs> fathom what that must be like. Well, we have twins in our in our family enough where when we got pregnant, I was I was like, oh Lord, if, <laughs> if that's what you want for us, then okay. But uh, I'm scared. <laughs> anyway, sorry. He has, he has three kids. He has three kids, and uh, and so anyway, we've we've tried to get several different guests who have different perspectives, different ways of coming at these questions of con- reconstruction and deconstruction, and. And in fact, I was, I thought it was worth mentioning again for people who maybe have jumped in. Cause I know some people jump in the middle in podcast uh, series and stuff. I, I, I am one of those people who does that sometimes <laughs> same, with podcast same. series. And so, um, so like, Hey, this looks interesting. I'll listen to one of these and like, I'm so lost. Well, that's because you started in the middle, but the, um, but this, the whole thing that triggered a lot of this was the idea that, that back when, I don't know, a few years ago there was, and it comes and goes, there's little fad movements of deconstruction and and that that's when the term deconstruction was had become fairly popularized and you had people deconstructing from uh, you know the influencers and church staff members and that, then pastors and you know whatever else and 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 the immediate response which is so sadly typical of the Christian church world is this reactive sometimes unthinking response and there was this immediate demonization mm-hmm. um, on some people's part and not on all and I remember thinking at the time laughing when there was some guy who had deconstructed very aggressively and and I'm seeing all these responses like oh you know just just very it just felt inappropriately judgmental and then one of the people who I really admire William Lane Craig mm-hmm. commenting on his podcast and going so, Here's what they've done. I've reached out to them and and offered to, you know, get some time and just just, you know, just discuss what is going on with them. And it's like, <laughs> there you go, Dr. Craig, once again, <laughs> modeling Christ, not just with his life, uh, not just with his brain, but with his life. And like he didn't demonize the person. He said they they've got some good questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're all answerable, but I think they're good questions. So anyway, it's I'd love to hear your thoughts as far as in your life what deconstruction or reconstruction would even look like and 
And what are the anchors? That's one of our themes that we come back to. What are the anchors that hold us strong? And then even how do people engage with as we're being bombarded with different worldviews and stuff? So there you go. I, I, I threw like four things at you at once. <laughs> uh, you can pod all four of them if you want. That's or, or pick That's one and go. That's a ton to answer all at once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and start with, I think, some of my anchors. Okay. Because I think they are the things that have helped. My touchstones are the things that I've come back to as I've worked through difficult thoughts and difficult questions. Um, yep. One of my personal foundational anchors, which um, puts me squarely outside of the postmodernist camp, is that um, at the end of the day, things make sense. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's good yep you've already you've yep. already jumped the ship at that point right um, that that in some way eventually things make sense huh um and that's what finally took me to christ hmm. um and has been one of the things that i come back to is when questions cannot be answered easily and there's a lot of questions out there that can't be answered easily hmm I believe that there is a sensible answer. Okay. Um, and so honestly, one of my touchstones has been the creation of the universe. Mm. Um, the idea of choosing between an eternal God or eternal matter is sort of a no brainer for me. Okay. Because all observable matter behaves consistently. And one of those things is the premise of entropy or things getting more chaotic. Right. If matter is eternal, the chaos would have run the universe out of existence by now. Mm. Right. Because if you draw it back infinitely, <laughs> right. eventually, um, the <clears throat> math word is an asymptote, but like when the curve eventually gets so flat that you can't tell it's not zero, we, we would be there because the starting point is infinity behind us. Right. You can't jump up from a bottomless well right. conversation, right? And so... Um, yeah, when I when I'm confronted with the reality that the universe exists, then it is not sensible to me for that to be an eternal universe. Mm. Okay, um, which then puts me into the camp of well, something had someone had to create it, um, and eventually, I mean, like I've heard lots of theories about you know alien creators or whatever else, <laughs> and that just to me is um, pushing the question further back. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that just stalls, um, and so. And then from there, beginning to build on, okay, so if I assume that there is a meaningful creator, someone or something that created, what frameworks best explain a creator? So I have to land in some sort of theist camp. And of those, frankly, Christianity is the most sensible. Mm -hmm. um, that I, I spent... Um, some time in high school, diving deeply into Islam and a few of the um, Christianity spinoffs, um, Hinduism. And I can't get past some of the rational hurdles that those faiths require. Mm -hmm. um, there are the fewest of those in Christianity. There are still some <laughs> tough rational hurdles, as you yes. all have talked through on this podcast. <laughs> um, but... They, there are the fewest and the easiest dealt with um, in Christianity. So that's been one of my... And you think that's better better than like atheists or better than there being no God at all? Oh my it's, they're gosh, more reasonable. the rational hurdles for an atheist are astronomical. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, to start with, the 
existence of the universe. Mm. Like that to me pretty much rules out atheism. Mm. Okay. Um, agnostic, I have a ton of um, sympathy for agnostics mm-hmm. because I think in their own brains, they are being honest. Um, mm, yeah. That is the reality that it is really hard to know things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think y'all have briefly touched on epistemology. Mm-hmm. We have. Like. Yep. Um, and so the structure of what is known and what can be known is hard. Mm-hmm. And for someone who doesn't want to spend the pretty deep emotional, intellectual, intellectual energy to get through the questions of what can be known, choosing to stand in an agnostic place is, is intellectually honest at least. Mm. Good point. Um, now I don't think it should stop there. I don't believe that. Yeah. Um, I think we should continue to seek truth and to seek, um, to understand the world we're in and the people we're around, um, and to have good answers for the why questions around that. But for someone who doesn't want to do that, I would say they're being a little bit lazy, but they're also being honest to say I'm agnostic. Mm. So then I think the next question was like your, where deconstruction and reconstruction has played a part in your life. Was that your question? Yeah, that's one. So I'm going to come back to, I believe that there are sensible answers in the world. Mm. Um, And so that assumption pretty much demands some kind of reconstruction always. Mm. Um, When I find something that is not sensible or that conflicts with an assumption I have, um, that means I have to deconstruct something. I either have to... um, invalidate the objection that's been made to something I believe. Okay. Or I have to invalidate the belief. Something has to break. Mm. Right. Um, and I'd like to think that I usually, um, am willing to challenge my own beliefs. There are things that I hold pretty dearly that that's hard for me. Mm -hmm. But, um, when that happens, I believe that it is worth my time to rebuild afterwards. And so, because again, I want the world to make sense. Mm -hmm. I I need an explanation. I don't, I don't deal well. I think I have heard Chris say a few times that he thrives in the mystery. (laughs) (laughs) I don't deal well with that. Um, And the, I don't knows, I I want to have an answer. And even if it is an answer of this is what I believe now, and can hold it loosely. There are several things in Christianity that that's the case. Um, some broad strokes like the problem of evil uh, right. or suffering. Mm. I know what I think now, and I know how that fits into my broader picture of humanity and God. But that's also something I hold very loosely because it is, it's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And there's a lot about it that I don't totally understand. Um, but I can make sense of it. Does that make sense? Does that, yeah, does that make totally. sense to you guys? Yeah, yes. mm-hmm. it does. Um, so that's happened a few times in my life. The first time was in high school. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. I have wonderful believing parents um, who at the time didn't dive deeply into theology. Mm. Um, they have since become deep theologians, each in their own right. Mm. But um, at the time didn't. And I had some hard questions, um, partially because I was a little bit cantankerous at (laughs) 15. Um, Yeah, but who isn't, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Asking questions that I knew were hard about free will will and, um, yeah, 
predestination. Predestination, and, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and depravity and um, can people actually do good? Yeah. So questions that are hard for theologians to answer, I was throwing at my parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, were you actually wondering or were you mm -hmm. just, okay, you weren't just asking them questions? Because there was a time, there was a point when I was like, okay, I'm done with Christianity mm. because my parents didn't have great answers for those mm. at the time. Interesting. Um, and I was like, if there's not good, if Christianity can't answer these questions, it's not worth my time. Mm. Wow. Um, and so then dove pretty deeply into some of the other world religions. I was like, can anybody else answer these questions? Mm. Um, by that point, I had already sort of come to the conclusion of, again, per the creation of the universe of there had to be something. And so it was then, has anybody figured out what it is? Mm. Um, so so deep thinker for a 15, 16 year old. <laughs> Maybe. I'm also, I am a contrarian to my core. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like testing and arguing and I do that in my own brain. Um, With yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but also to everyone around me. Mm -hmm. um, and that was on full display at 15. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I landed my senior year, um, on Christianity because a kind and generous teacher spent a lot of time engaging with inane questions mm. and, and me intentionally asking questions that were hard to answer. Wow. Um, there it is again. That's a pattern we've seen so many times. And he eventually, I think, got frustrated with me um, and said, go read this book and we'll talk when you're done. Um, and he gave me the case for Christ. Mm. Okay. Um, and that eventually led to mere Christianity. <laughs> um, Good order. With, um, so Lee Strobel and then C.S. Lewis, respectively. Mm -hmm. um, so Lee Strobel is a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And the case for Christ is a very carefully, rationally structured argument for why Christianity deserves a seat at the table. Because mm -hmm. he started out to disprove it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's the same thing of, you know, the gospel is the anvil around which the hammers lay broken. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because very, very, very smart people, much smarter than me, have tried their best and failed to break Christianity. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so Strobel was compelling to me, but it was also kind of like, Strobel doesn't have a great picture of the power of story. Mm. Right. He's a rational thinker. <clears throat> he makes some great points, starting with like the validity of scripture, um, why we can trust the narratives we have and builds from there, I guess, sort of classic apologetics. Right. Um, but he doesn't capture why we should care. Right. Mm. It is, this is authoritative and it has power and value, but doesn't have, he doesn't say why it's compelling. Right. All um, logos, mm -hmm. very little pathos, very little, uh, ethos ethos. Yeah. Yeah. And so that led me to going back to my teacher and I was like, okay, this was great. And he's got good points, but why should I care? Mm. <laughs> right. Um, and he was like, great. Read this next. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, was um, that was mere Christianity? That was mere Christianity. Okay. Um, because C.S. Lewis's conception and it led me to C.S. Lewis, um, Pilgrim's Regress is what it led me to afterwards, which is a deep theological dive right. on um, 
apologetics and essentially building a proof, a rational proof for Christianity. Right. Um, backwards. Backwards. Yes. Yeah. Because by uh, then he had achieved, he had gotten there, and and then he built the pathway backwards. Like that's why it was the regress, the regress. rather than progress. Exactly. Right? So mm-hmm. he, I mean, it is deductive reasoning properly because he starts with the conclusion and goes right. back through the premises. Right. Um, and so that so mere Christianity was like C.S. Lewis talks through an idea called mythopoeia, okay. or a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and his point is it doesn't matter. Other than Adam, which William Craig also talks to this, uh-huh. other than them being a historical Adam, yeah, the historicity of any of the rest of the Old Testament is not relevant. It doesn't right. matter. Mm. And I know people are going to probably be tensing up hearing that. It doesn't matter in a specific sense. And, and so I'm yeah, to that which point, is what you're getting. Yeah, <laughs> um, that the historicity um, matters in that the stories show who God is. Right. Mm. Um. And so C.S. Lewis calls this the true myth, the the myth in the sense of a story around which religious belief is built. Um, and then the true myth is the myth that shows the true God by those stories. Mm. Right. And so C.S. Lewis arrives at, I can take all of the good from the stories in scripture without having to deal with fighting over whether or not it happened exactly as it happened mm. or as it's written. Right. That essentially it could all be allegory, but if it shows who God is, it doesn't matter. It would still be valuable for that. Yes. Mm. So whether it's historical or allegorical, it's still its main purpose was to is to reveal the, the identity and character of God. Right. And so if it turns out not to be historical, it can still accomplish that. If it turns out to be historical, it still accomplishes that. Precisely. And that's the, that's the concept of, you know, it's, a, it's, that's what the technical meaning of irrelevant would mean. Mm. It's not that it doesn't matter at all to anything. It's that in regards to this topic, it, it, it is, it is irrelevant in that it, it could, it achieves its purpose no matter which one it is. Mm-hmm. And that's a great, that's a, that's a tough one for some people to wrap their brains yeah. around. But again, it would go back to our conversation, like that simple one we always do of the love letter if, if it was intended to be allegorical, it's okay that it's allegorical. Mm-hmm. The only problem would be is if it was intended to be historical and was only allegorical or the other way around, that would, that could create a problem, but we don't, it's, it's, there are many books in the historical books, uh, many of the historical biblical books, which as we've said before, I assume are historical mm-hmm. until I have a really good reason to assume to, to change my mind on that, mm-hmm. or at least even to question it. But the significance of them is their revelation of God and, yeah. and his opinion on things. So, so, but you were saying that book was. So the book is mere Christianity where he describes what the mythopoeia is. Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that captured C.S. Lewis's imagination mm-hmm. um, for the gospel and resulted in Narnia. Mm. Right. Of him writing another mythopoeia, another myth that reveals the true God. Mm-hmm. Um. And so you're saying that was compelling in your story specifically. Because it finally gave a why. Mm. Why should I care? So, okay, the Bible is true and Christianity is the right religion. Great. I can get on board. But then Christianity also requires some pretty serious life changes based on the assumptions. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Um, And so 
in order to compel life changes, there has to be a serious reason to buy in. Yeah. Um, and the story of God with humanity is a serious reason to buy in. Absolutely. Is if, if I go ahead and agree that the Bible as we have it is teaching about the true God, then that is, a, I mean, per Daniel, um, that's a God who redeems. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a God who saves. That there is powerful things there that begin to address some of the most difficult parts about being human. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which is actually going to re- lead really beautifully into discussion of worldview. Okay, good. Um, so the framework I have come across to understand worldview is in four parts. Um, as you guys are discovering, and some of your listeners are too, I'm, I'm a structured thinker. I like things in bullet points. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and so worldview as this amorphous thing is really hard for me to engage with because it's so all-encompassing. Yeah. It covers all of our fundamental assumptions about everything. Right. <laughs> Even the things we don't think are assumptions. Precisely. In fact, is, the things we get mad that you claim are my assumptions. Exactly. <laughs> no, and, I've got rational underlying beliefs for that. Uh, and I the mean, sort of. The deeper that it gets, the harder <laughs> yeah, it is to deal yeah, with exactly. them. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> so a thinker in the 70s um, by the name of Leslie Stevenson broke down, um, he called them theories of human nature. It's what we would today call worldview. Okay. And he broke it into four categories. Um, and he uses some different language for it, but I'm going to use the theological language for it. Um, so he breaks it first into metaphysics or what we believe about reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then into anthropology or what we believe about humanity, mm-hmm. um, who, who people are and what, what we are in the cosmos. Um, then the technical theological term, it's a mouthful, it's called hamartiology uh-huh. um, or... Doctrine of sin. The doctrine of sin. What's wrong with the world? That's right. Um, and then the doctrine of soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, which is the solution. So he says that every um, cogent worldview addresses these four points. Okay. Um, what's real? Who, who or what is humanity? What's broken in the world? and how to fix it. Right. Um, so kind of going back to C.S. Lewis a little bit, C.S. Lewis helped me wrap my head around um, a doc- an understanding of humanity's space in the world that is redeemable. Okay. It is the story of God making broken things do magnificent things. Okay. Um, because we all can look around and say there is brokenness, mm-hmm. all right. of us, all of our worldview accounts for some sort of problem in the world, whether you think that's social justice, whether you think that's racism, whether you think that's systemic issues, <clears throat> um, or in the Christian terms, whether you think the problem is separation from God, right? we all look around and go, you know, children being murdered, murdered is evil. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, People dying, there's something wrong with people dying. Mm-hmm. There's something innately, like when our friends and parents die, there's something in us that re- screams rejection at that. Right. Uh, huh. and, and we don't want to go quietly. No. What is that? What's the do not, poem? Do not go quietly gently into that good night. Yeah, like rage against the... Burns, maybe? Something. I'll have to find it real quick. Um, yeah. And so... If we assume that there's something broken in the world, then again, I believe that the world is sensible. Mm-hmm. There, there should be a way to fix it. 
Um, but then I look at my own life and the stories of the people around me, and I see us doing our very best and doing it badly. Mm. There you go. Um, Dylan Thomas, by the way. Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle, gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave right. at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. There you go. Sorry. Oh, he threw me back into 10th grade literature. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then I, that demands some sort of solution. Mm-hmm. And And as I, so I think that Lee Strobel provided me the framework to thoughtfully engage with metaphysics or reality. Mm. And I believe that scripture best deals with the facts on the ground as they are. Mm. Um, but then that metaphysic doesn't give any reason for personal change. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. It, it simply is, okay, there is now a God who has done amazing things in the past. That's great. But mm. okay, what about my life? But then understanding the story of what God has done and the power of redemption throughout the Hebrew scriptures and then the magnificent redemption in the gospels. Right. That's something that's worth sacrificing pleasure and other thing, the hedonism that is available Mm. of letting that go in favor of following a New Testament ethic Mm. because I want to be a part of that story. Mm. because I, the, and the deeper I continue to get to know the Lord, the more bought on, bought in I am because I continue to see that redemption happen around me mm. of him taking broken, tragic things and making magnificent things out of them. Mm. Um, and I mean, that for me is worth the work of reconstructing every day mm. because even as I'm confronted with difficulties with, you know, internal conflicts in scripture or what have you, suffering daily. Right. Um, reading the news is a good exercise in realizing that. Oh my gosh, yeah. God's um, deconstruction every day. <laughs> but then coping with those things that my soul rejects that, that oughtn't to be. Mm-hmm. Um, being a part of the gospel story makes it worth figuring out how do I relate to those things and, and building back into faith? Mm-hmm. Um, because I believe that there is salvation and because I believe that, that the prescription for the brokenness that is, is God's story. Mm-hmm. So that would um, be the, the metaphysic or the anthropology moving into. Uh, the, so the so third, that's all, the you one. can't pull them all completely apart. They each right. depends on the Certainly others. not if it's a narrative, not if it's a story. You no. can't just do that. Each depends on the other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you might say that the metaphysic is the setting. Um, the anthropology is the cast. Mm. And the plot is written by the homardiology into soteriology. Right. Um, but if you pull any one of those out, none of the rest of it works. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, which is why I think you end up with a secular world <clears throat> desperately can, clinging to some sort of systemic reform. Because that's their soteriology. They, the resolution to their plot is fixing the system. Right. So if there is no God, if there is no... In, in the metaphysic where there is nothing higher than the material world, um, and humanity is simply evolved amoebas. Right. 
and we are causing horrific ills to each other, which I recognize assumes some morality issues. Not getting into that. Um, ills. Use the proper amoral word. Ills. Um, some ills. Yeah. Some, um, problems, if you will. Yeah. That fix it to fix those problems. The only way to fix it is to fix the systems, which then there is a ton of emotional buy-in in Paul. And as I think you guys talked through some politics stuff. Yes. The emotional buy-in in politics is because that is salvation. Right. And if that's where your salvation is, of course you're going to live and die on those hills. Right. Um, in the same way that, you know, I, I would die for my faith because that is salvation. There's, there is no better thing to die for. But there's not a, <clears throat> it's like there's not a, there's not an answer to the question of a personal salvation anymore in the, in the humanist or in the new secular progressive worldview systems. It's like the personal salvation is not relevant. It's the, in the same way that the personal justice has been thrown out, traditional personal justice has been thrown out for social Certain. systemic justice. And so sort of, it depends on, I mean, we're essentially operating in a utilitarian culture. Um, okay. properly speaking at this point. So utilitarian in the sense of what things ought to be, what helps the most people. Right. And so in the sense of there is personal salvation in, in that as societal ills are solved, um, there is moral high ground to be gained. Yes, it is a personal salvation. You have contributed to the good of humanity <clears throat> and, and therefore saved yourself and your children by fixing the system. So sort of, but, the, the personal in the sense of if I'm the only one saved, then I'm still saved that is gone. Right, right. Nothing nothing about me lasts past my lifetime here. Correct. So I'm Which I'm is depressing. Oh yes. <laughs> That's the one of our one of the things we've come back to over and over again is how few of these ills are solved by removing God from the conversation, but how all hope of redemption of these ills is removed by removing God from the conversation. Like it's a, as we talked about with Dan Ray, like the, the ultimate form of child abuse is for an atheist to have children uh, or for an atheist who says this world is not worth living in. Like there's so many evil. There's so many horrible things in this world. There's all this terrible suffering and horror. And that's proof that there is no God. And I, and you go, okay, so you're going to bring a child into that and you're going to just tell them from the beginning Yes, this is a horrible, twisted, dark, evil world. You might try to impact that positively for someone, um, but in the end, you're actually not going to. Then you're going to suffer for all the however many years you live between a few minutes to, you know, 70, 80 years, and then you'll die and there won't be any value to any of that. And based on, at least based on history, you probably won't make any meaningful change. Um, in the long run, especially in utilitarian culture where they don't, where that, where heroes aren't honored. Individuals don't get to change the world. Only, only all of us can change the world, not any of us. So it's a, it's a tough world to bring a child into with that viewpoint. Yeah. And it's part of why I continue to struggle with um, any kind of rational engagement with um, a true secular worldview. Because if materialism is true, 
then everything is meaningless. And I re- and I believe the world makes sense. Mm. <laughs> right. Mm. And so if everything is meaningless, then nothing makes sense. The only thing that it can, I mean, it eliminates deductive reasoning entirely for, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm speaking technically. My mind went to for inductive reasoning, which you can <laughs> only ever make assumptions. Right. You can make good observations, but all you're doing is eventually making assumptions. There's no, nothing sensible to be solidified. Mm. And they are only as good as they are until they're disproven. Mm. Um, which is exhausting. <laughs> yes. Instead of finding, instead of acknowledging the hope of, of that there is some way that this can be redeemed. Right. That's what's intriguing to me is the soteriology just just even wrestling through the conversation of it feels more and more especially with my kids when I'm watching movies and reading books and stuff like that in the modern era of course which they don't do they just now they just watch YouTube um, stuff <laughs> but <laughs> then there's no time for this whole story to be written out uh-huh. um, the whole hero's arc is intriguing and there's so little. And and the hero's arc, which was the way stories were told forever, are so redemptive. It's so redemptive in nature. There is value to this suffering. There is something that's going to be accomplished that is bigger than you. There is a, all of that message, and yet as as all of that gets stripped away, and now there's not time for that. Or the story we tell is all deconstruction stories, not construction stories. Build the building of a person. You have to tear down. The hero is the one who destroys the system, not the one who builds a new one even but anyway it's just i feel like we've lost we're losing something very very important with those stories being stolen from us and instead now we just do short <clears throat> i've even i've even okay so the part of where this comes out sorry i'm like struggling here but the part of this is watching with a, a movie with my son the other night and we were talking about how in you know in modern day media no one prays Right. I mean, their house is surrounded by zombies scraping on the window. They have no hope. They're they're all going to die, and they've now come <laughs> to that realization. And no one prays. Whereas real human beings under those conditions, though Everybody they know prays. nothing about God, oh, they pray. Yeah. And so and so that's reality. And yet that is never shown. Now mm. I feel like Band of Brothers is one of the last things I've watched where you have a bunch of men in foxholes, many of whom are not believers. But man, they pray. Mm. When there's when you're in Bastogne and there's shells going off, blowing trees apart all around you, it turns out you're not so much you're not so convicted of your atheism that you thought you were. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be the case. Anyway, we're watching in preparation for the new uh, Mission Impossible movie. Uh, Holland and never seen the third one, which we can debate whether it's the best one. I think it is. But the uh, there's a lot of them now. I so. know there's a bunch. <laughs> but in it, I was intrigued. I had forgotten. There's a scene where where it's the scene where Ethan's got a you know, certain number of minutes to go find the rabbit's foot and he's vanished into a building. And they intriguingly tell this part of the story from those who are watching, not from his. And so he's gone into a building and you don't know what's going on. And you're sitting there in tension, like time's running out. He's down to a few seconds. And then you get this great, like, you know, he's suddenly screaming into the mic. I can't get to the roof and look up, look up, look up. And he's char- he's jumping out of a window at like a, you know, 20th story. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but what's it? There's a little moment, which is intriguing that I had never, I had forgotten that where, where the, the lady, one of the ladies is sitting there mumbling under her breath and the guy next to her goes, what are you doing? And she's like, 
she all embarrassed, like she's totally humiliated in this moment. And she goes, when I was a little girl, my mom and my little dog would run away. My mom taught me a prayer to pray for him to return. And it's a sweet scene. And the guy who clearly is, the, he's he's been portrayed as the most jaded of all the characters. He goes, yeah. well, teach me. Oh, I do remember that now. And, and I was like, yeah. I've forgotten all about that scene. That's realistic. Yes. Human beings are desperately looking for a redemption to the story. Soteriology is real. We know something's broken. And even under those conditions, there is something in us intrinsic that does that. Now, again. And it craves revolution, resolution. Yes. That's the reason that all stories have a descending arc. Yes. Is because we need that resolution. And why the modern stories, many of which don't, are f- they flop. Because it, no one cares. They're so not interesting. There's nothing. Yeah. I got, I, I, I this would be a sep- totally separate podcast, but it is a, it is wild to me that, that right now storytellers in Hollywood can't figure out why their movies keep failing. And you're or like, that they just don't, they don't want to give in to the fact that there you think it's is, that? I've wondered is that. It we or we probably stubbornness? should not start this. <laughs> but, I, but, I think this to fits with what we're track. talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have wondered if it's is it that they don't know, or it's just that to admit something like we want resolution admits a bigger worldview that mm. they that they can't admit to. It must not without, be true. Yeah, without it, without giving a lot of the rest of their worldview up. That's an intriguing. Because that resonates. I haven't thought that before. but yep. that, that feels true. It's a it's a death to give up a worldview perspective. Yeah. It, it is. That's what we call it. Conversion. I mean, it's, it is a, you are one thing and now you're another, and that's never a comfortable metamorphosis. Yeah. And, and like Zach saying, all of these are combined, like all these four yes. parts of worldview are overlapping. And so to give up one piece of it or to, to give way to the enemy, I'm sure is, <laughs> you yeah. know, how our culture treats different worldviews is to admit other pieces of this that you, you don't want to be true. Wow. I mean, and, I think on along those lines, to admit a soteriology that is beyond humanity saving itself, yeah, demands an adjustment in metaphysics, mm-hmm. yeah, um, because you are admitting that humanity can't save itself, and so <laughs> if yes. if you admit that, you are ceding the reality that there is a morality beyond us, yeah, which lands you back in arguments for God, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, it's the ontological, right? That is, so there's the moral, moral argument, um, ontological. Yeah. You're by seeding the need for a soteriology beyond humanity. Yeah. You land right back in the purpose based. Yeah. There has to, there's, there is and, something and what could it be? And then you're forced to acknowledge that there is something. Mm. Yeah. Um, which then forces you to recalibrate the whole rest of the system. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I've, I've thought for years, either, either. And I, I talked to somebody just the other day, like I, I am willing to acknowledge that all of this may be fake. Like our brains are really good at finding patterns. And sometimes we find patterns where there is no pattern. Certainly. And it could be that the entire conversation about God, purpose, meaning, value, all of that is just, it's, it's just an optical illusion that our brain has assigned meaning where there is absolutely none, which is the one thing I used to admire about, um, oh, who was the the first of the kind of neo-atheists, uh, the biologist? Why am I blinking on his name? Oh, come on. Uh, Dawkins. 
um, oh, was yeah, because yeah. he acknowledged that in his first book. There is nothing. We this is a merciless, meaningless world. Like that was his and there is initial stance was we would there is no meaning. There's absolutely no meaning, no purpose, no nothing. He now since then he's walked all that back because it wasn't super popular among his friends. Well, it's because he got confronted in debate with then is there cruelty? Right. And there, and, <laughs> yeah. Which is, I think, such a brilliant way of coming at that. Yes. Rather than is there altruism, which yeah. is easy to argue yeah, either yeah, side. Yeah. It's really hard to argue that there is no such thing, no as, such thing as cruelty. That's right. You cannot assign cruelty mm-hmm. to any behavior, any action, is, any motivation. Is it evolutionary practice? Is, is it evolutionarily practical? Right. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you can ask. Yeah. Yep. And that leaves a horrific world. Yes. <laughs> it does. And yeah. Yeah. If, we were, if that's what you're left with, that is a that is such a dark claw tooth world mm. that that it's and and something in us rebels against that. Is it possible that it's an over evolved brain that rebels against that? It is possible, um, but it's not. That is not the plausible answer. And what we see around us, in my opinion, lowers that down to a tiny, pretty tiny percentage of being the the most likely answer. Mm. It is more likely that there is meaning to mm. things. Mm-hmm. There actually is meaning to these things, and we're we are correctly identifying something that is true, not, not inventing something. Mm. And I think the evidence is much stronger for that. And the humanist worldview, which has always, ever since I learned about it, I remember the first time I learned about humanism, I guess I was in college, and I actually laughed out loud because I thought the person was telling a joke. <laughs> like when they described humanism, I laughed. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> like that's a, and I was, oh, wait, you're serious. Like you're, <laughs> you really are you really are turning to humanity for, for purpose and meaning and significance. And, and, and I th- you know, you, I think you need to <laughs> yeah. get out more. Like, I think you need to meet some more people because, yeah. uh, you, you remember, um, uh, you've heard me say this, but the, the old Homer Simpson, uh, reference to beer, beer is the cause of and solution to oh. all of man's problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 I was like, humanism just takes out the word beard, puts in humans. Yeah, yeah. Humans are the cause of and solution to all of our problems. Yes. And it's just as absurd as it sounds mm-hmm. that you would go, oh, it's that you talk about returning to the ex-boyfriend. That that is that is the worst <laughs> possible. Like he was horrible. He saw he created all these problems for me. I wonder if he can solve them. Yeah. Like, I'm guessing no. I'm just gonna go with no. It's not likely. <laughs> so anyway, I I like this and I I hope like what so some sources it made me think of you know, I know Lewis wrote a lot about this epic story being told. Um, I think there was a book relatively recently that John Eldridge may have written. Call he may have even called it epic. Um, but I think I think there's some great resources out there to yeah. engage with this do you, conversation. Do you have some favorite Zach of what you would point people to, or even favorite resources when it comes to if there's someone who's think who thinks similarly to you, where um, the world. You the you know that the world makes sense and you want answers for things and you're not. I think Lee Strobel okay. is hard to beat. Um, he's been popular for decades mm-hmm. because right. his work is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> I mean, it kind of just depends on how deep somebody wants to go. Yeah. Um, I have fully gone down the rabbit hole. Um, which is awesome. But that yeah, Leslie Stevenson's framework he talks about um the newer editions are i think now 13 his original book was seven theories of human nature okay um and he talked through um sort of socratic and aristotelian thought Mm -hmm. um platonic thought um marxist 
Christian, Islamic, um, and I'm missing one. But it's been expanded now to include Buddhist, Hinduism, um, Confucian. Anyway, it goes on. It's now. So he has multiple um, additions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's been, yeah, redone lots of times since the seventies. Okay. Um, but this is Stevens. Stevenson. 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 Okay. Leslie Stevenson. Um, and I, again, I would, his framework for dealing with worldview is really helpful. Okay. Um, it is worth doing your own research on his descriptions of those systems, mm. but the framework is superb. Um, I don't necessarily end up agreeing with him on even his analysis of them, but that's mm. fine. The yeah, but the he, framework, the framework is, is excellent. Okay. Um, anything by Lewis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out for CS Yeah, exactly. I, even the stuff I don't agree with him on, he's asking good questions. Oh yeah. Um, and making really, really excellent observations about the nature and character of who God is and how mm. God treats with humans. That's um, awesome. so yeah, both of those. And then yeah. the deeper someone wants to go, I love most very variations of systematic theology. Yeah. Um, there have been dozens of them written over the years. Like the book, yeah. systematic theology. So, I mean, I love Wayne Grudem. Yeah. Um, which is showing my theological stripes a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are truly dozens. Um, and that's going to deal, put theology into a framework that's a little bit easier to compartmentalize. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Dr. Craig is wrapping up, as I understand it, his philosophical the theological. I'm so text. excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, his treatment of the historical Adam was brilliant. It was. So um, <laughs> he's, he's dragged me kicking and screaming into several things that I was like, I picked up the book, read his thesis and like, no, you will never convince me. <laughs> and by the end, I'm like, okay, fine. You're right. Um, God yeah. and time was my favorite of those. I don't know that I've read a book of his that I don't like. I disagree with him on a lot of stuff. Yeah, sure. But he is, I mean, I think he's going to be remembered as one of the preeminent thinkers of our era. I think so too. Um, in company with Carl, um, Carl Barth and yep. C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. and like some of the giants, I think yeah. Blaine Lane Craig is going to stand with those guys. That's awesome. That's very cool. Well, before very we cool. close, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or say Zach or, or something that you would want to say to listeners maybe? I'm, I don't, I would just say, just keep asking questions mm -hmm. um, that even questions that are scary to ask are worth being asked if you're willing to hear the answer. Mm. That's good. That's um, good. You don't have a, an online presence at this point or do you, do you have a really. web log or anything? Not really. Okay. But if Later. people have questions, they can reach out to us and we can pass them on. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, this has been great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Zach. We really Zach. enjoyed this. Thank you all this. so much for having me. This is awesome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers. <laughs>